All right, today we are joined by Eastview head girls basketball coach Molly Casper. Coach, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. What an what an awesome thing you're doing here. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, how we always get started is your coaching Wikipedia page. So where have you been? Where'd you play? And then what's been your journey uh, to Eastview? Perfect. Um, I'm originally from Eau Claire, Wisconsin. So big Packer fan. Um, usually ride with the Badgers. Uh, from was a three sport athlete tennis, basketball, softball, and um, made it to state in every other sport but basketball in high school. Um, but we were really successful and so went to Winona State um, to play and continue my career. I was the current coach, his name is Scott Ballard. I was his first recruit there. He was brought there to kind of turn around the program, change the program. Um, and so went there for four years and that's kind of what we did. Um, and I was bought into that and working hard to, you know, go somewhere different, be somewhere different and hopefully create something special. And we went his first year before I got there, I think he had three wins. We went to 10 wins my first year, then 15, then 21, and then um, 26 or 27 and made the NCAA tournament, you know, won the first NCAA uh, game for the uh program and so now it's kind of continued that success and I think Winona State's considered at least for women's basketball um you know a really good program in the NSIC which is what we set out to do and he's still there so um after that came up here student taught and actually went back down there to be a grad assistant coach for two years and um you know I kind of felt and thought that if we were successful during the four years that I was there that was great but if it didn't continue then we actually didn't change anything um, we didn't actually fix anything um, and still wanted to be a part of it for two more years and um, did that and it was great. We won the conference tournament, made the NCAA tournament again and um, after that um, kind of made the decision to come up and back into this area where I did my student teaching and you know contemplated going into college coaching, had you know some areas that I could have gone and just wanted to still be around in Minnesota and so um, luckily got an opportunity to coach at Rosemont High School. After that, when I decided to, you know, coach high school and teach high school and kind of see what continued to happen. And I was there for three years trying to rebuild with Chris Orr. And we were able to do that, made it to the second final. Um, I think it was my last year and then decided to, I was going to, you know, adventure out to see if I wanted to be a head coach. I was currently pregnant at the time and had an opportunity to be a head coach somewhere and just decided that wasn't the best fit. My first baby was due in December. And, you know, my husband kind of said, you know, you're only leaving for Eastview. We all know that. And I was like, yeah, you're right. We'll just, we'll wait and see. And, and then, you know, April rolled around and the coach I was coaching with at the time, he's like, oh, I hate to say this, but Melissa Giebert just retired. Like, you know, and I was like, well, I guess I'll, you know, I'll give it a shot. And, no one knows me up here. I'm, you know, not a suburb. I didn't play Minnesota basketball. And so um, worked out great. And after that, ended up at Eastview and it's where I always wanted to be. And it's been a great fit so far. What were some of your biggest coaching takeaways as your four years playing in the NSIC, then your couple of years as a GA? What were some of the biggest things that you took from being a part of that rebuilding program and then installing that into your coaching? Um, you know, I think... I've always been a very much relationship person. You're going to hear me say that a lot. Relationship people, um, opinions of players. I know as a player, I know I needed that. I was the, I played every position in college, literally started as a post one game and ended up my senior year as 
our point guard, and uh, I really want to give control to the players. I loved having control as a point guard. Me and my coach had a good relationship. Whether he wanted to give it to me or I just kind of took it, um, it worked out, and it just, it really, um, you know, having that leadership and control come from within the team, I think, shows um, you get so much more buy-in, you get so much more love for it, you get so much more of that quote-unquote family feel, and that's really um, the biggest takeaways that I had, um, and then just, you know, making it family and competing at that level every day is the biggest thing from, from college, and, you know, how do you bring that into rebuilding is getting these kids, you know, to love it, to want it, to, to be a part of that, and having it come from them first is what's going to mean the most, which starts with your relationships. So you kind of started to scratch the surface a little bit when you talk about uh, the culture of your team. And obviously big thing that stuck out to me when you were talking was student led or player led. And so how do you, how did you, how did you, and how do you continue to maintain that culture of uh, keeping things player focused and having players in control and have players uh, having ownership of their uh, basketball experience with your team? Yeah. um, I think, you know, a lot of times that's built over time during my first four years at Eastview. um, Emma Carpenter was a freshman when she first came in. She ended up being um, our point guard on our state championship team. Um, And so she was able to get to grow and learn for those first two years. But in practice, um, I make them control a lot of and most of practice in regards to if we're going five on five, if we're doing something, it's point guards are calling the play. They're circling up. Um, they're doing most of that reading. We, we sit down and we break some things and we say, hey, we want to do this. This is what we're looking for. That's now what your voice is going to be. Um, and, we, and that's every day. So right now in a year where we just switched over from a point guard and now we have a, you know underclassmen, it, it takes a little bit more time. Um, but with like Emma Carpenter, we had two years to do that. So by the time it was her junior year, it was like she stood up right up there and she was like, all right, this is what we're running. Um, during games, players call almost all of the calls um they call in you know for blobs or slobs it's they're getting together and they're making the call I'm not screaming at them to tell them what to do or controlling um that we we prepare in a way hopefully that they know what's best and what to look for and what to do and um and we put that in practice so that in the game it's really easy and they're used to it um but that obviously takes time that takes building that takes not like the day before a game we're like hey by the way you're going to be doing this this and this <laughs> yeah um, all the time so let's go into that more so what is your game prep that gets the players ready to make those based on out of bounds play i mean you're down two against a rival late in the late in the game late in the second half uh what are what are some things that you're talking about in practice or the days leading up to it for the players know to make the right call Um, Well, we practice, honestly, every single situation like that. And usually in most cases in in the years past and this year, it's been, we've done, you're down by two, there's 30 seconds, what are you doing? And it's been fun to watch because as they've gotten more comfortable with it, they actually, they'll create their own play. Immediately they say, well, where's a whiteboard? I need a whiteboard. I want to, you know, look at this way. And it's great because they get to bring in things from AAU. They get to bring things in from other coaches that they've had um, and they kind of own it. And it's an exciting thing, not like a, oh, I'm scared thing. So we've done it enough in practice where I really like to give them a lot of control, and we do in regards to that. Um, and then afterwards, we each coach has a group and says, okay, well, you know, because defense had to practice defense too, because if we don't have a timeout, what are you going to do? Are you switching screens? Are you not switching screens? Who's your shooter? Who's not your shooter? Who's your driver? Do they need a two? Do they need a three? Do you need a timeout? I mean, all those things as coaches go through, but um, we just really 
practice it quite a bit and it's year after year and you know this year we didn't get to do it as much because we're working on other skill stuff but in the past we've you know we do that on a weekly every other week basis where it's like well there's three minute game and you're literally coaching I'm only the ref like I, I will you control every inch of what you're doing and you know then they want a timeout they want a full they want a 30 so um you know, just giving totally different things like that where we've practiced it enough where and the game happens and we'll communicate or look at each other or during the game and process will say, hey, do you remember that this worked? Remember this. And then, um, you know, if we have a timeout, that's great. If we don't, we come together and it's pretty able to be relaxed and calm and they can execute to the best of their ability. What are some constraints that you put on that when you're doing it? Sound like you said you put three minutes on the clock and you set the situation. What I mean, you mentioned, you know, maybe they have X amount of timeouts. Well, what do you do time and score? What are some of the different constraints and options? I think that's great. And I think that's something that, um, you know, we always try to improve ourselves with situations. That's something that I know I'm writing notes down and I'm sure other people are. So can you talk a little bit more about the constraints and the setup of your uh, situations? Yeah, perfect. Um, it's really every day we come in, well, not every day, once a week, we come in with that certain constraint. So we've done it where we've done longer games of three minutes, five minutes, um, a minute and a half. And then within that, it's really kind of can be a fun where it's a minute and a half, you know, white team, you're up by four, it's a minute and a half. Um, what are you doing? Look at your other team. You have one timeout possession is going to blue on a jump ball. Um, it's one and one. It's not double bonus. And we literally can tell out that that scene and they then have to execute. It's your ball on the baseline. So then the white team gets a chance. They get a minute with their team to discuss what they're going to do, how they're going to game plan, who would they foul. Um, and during that time, we don't talk, but we've talked about it enough beforehand that by then it's the goal is that they're taking control. Um, they have subs on the bench. So like say we split you know, eight person, eight person, or we split into three teams and we have five, five, and five. The people on the sideline are already thinking and talking, well, what happened here? What happened here? How did they do that? Um, and then we just rotate. So then it's, you know, now it's blue turn. You're on offense, white, you're on defense. Okay, you get one minute with your team. What are you doing? And then the next time out after that, we get a minute where a coach, um, you know, I'll go with one group, our JV coach will go with one group and it's, I might go with the JV team. The JV coach might go with varsity team just so that we get different voices and different things heard. So um, those are kind of the parameters. It, it, after that, it's really up to them scores on the scoreboard. Um, so the parameters I'm giving is just really specific so that they start to think about it um, because then I don't have to think about it because then, you know, two weeks later I can say, all right, three minutes on the clock, blue, you're up by four. And then all of a sudden a kid's going, well, wait, are we in bonus? Is it single or is it double? And, you know, the other kid's like, well, who's got jump ball? And, you know, how many timeouts do we have? Because a lot of people don't think about jump balls, and it's just something that we've ingrained really early, hopefully in practice, that then in the game we're saying don't waste our final timeout because jump balls are a ball. Um, so that they're thinking that on their own and not coming from us, hopefully. I think that's great because I think so often uh, coaches just – and I'm guilty of it. Everyone, I'm sure, at times is guilty of it. You can see your – you know, I, I've coached against teams where you can just tell their kids – don't really know the situation. And I just think we assume that 15, 16, 17 year old boys or girls are going to be able to make the right decision in a pressure situation with a couple hundred of their fa family and friends cheering or screaming and um, drawing that up and making practice look like a game like that is so beneficial. I think that's awesome that you have your team do that and you give them so much ownership because I think we just assume as coaches that players are going to be able to make the right decision, but we have to work on it. And so that's awesome. 
Yeah, no, it's been great. And we've even had plays where at a timeout, it's not a specific step. We'll be like, all right, we're running Emma's play from practice. Remember how Emma did this? We're doing that right now. And we have to just review the draw, but then they're like, yep, okay, let's go. We know that that's that play and we know what to get. And it can be like that. But yeah, so it's worked out great for us. So your team sound like they're extremely cohesive as a group. It doesn't, I mean, everyone has, I'm sure their hiccups throughout the year and people kind of bicker at each other, but it sounds like for the most part, your team's pretty cohesive. So how have you built that up? Um, you know, I think it's, it's different every year. I think when I first came in, it was, you know, kind of who is this and you know, what, what does this mean? And who's Molly Casper. And um, I think a lot of that's built up on uh, the culture of, you know, we try to say family, but also we want to compete at a high level. And if you want to compete at a high level, um, you know, what's that going to look like? What's that going to feel like? I'm very, try to be team orientated. I'm very selfless. And so from the beginning, I tried to just build that in. Um, and when I first got here, you know, it really helped that we had players who um, were like, oh, yeah, this works for us and we win. And once they kind of feel it or see it or um, get it for the first time, they're like, oh, that was awesome. And I didn't even score. And, you know, once we, we had a Megan Walstead, and was her name who I coached her for three years, ended up being Miss Basketball. Um, and she just did whatever was best for the team, no matter what. She only took great shots, never took it. So, I mean, when you have someone like that that I got to have for three years and they just didn't care about the stat line of what they had, you know, she went her junior year averaging 10 points and then senior year shot up to 17. It's like, oh, it's my turn. Like, and, you know, I ended up being Miss Basketball. So it's I was able to have that where – We've got such this, um, you know, they really want to be part of a family. And, you know, now they don't want that culture of family and love to kind of, you know, lose it. That it, it but it takes hard work. I, we're not afraid to have those tough conversations. I think some people might be. And I put, you know, I put my players in positions where we might have tough conversations. And that sometimes hurts or sometimes, you know, it's it's hard things. It's uncomfortable. But, you know, unfortunately, nowadays, it's a lot of kids and adults haven't had to have those tough conversations. So um, we do force the issue and honesty and, you know, I end it with, you know, we love you. That, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that this is perfect or great or pretty, but um, you know, what can we do to progress past whatever's going on? And I think that's just been able to help everything else flourish because um, trust, right. It's all built on trust. So um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the start of that, you know, on top of that, I, I've, I've talked about this before and other things that I've talked about, but we actually call have accountability rules, it's called, and kind of goes back to the, hey, players own this, and they have to um, hold each other accountable in practice, and it's four specific rules that they come up with, and if someone's not following those rules, you know, a player can come up with all safety and come up to a coach and say, hey, I'm calling accountability, like we're not doing A, B, or C. And the whole team has a running consequence. They didn't have to call out or go get angry at one of their best friends. They, the best friend didn't have to get upset that that person was a B word. Um, but it was that safety net of, and it, that's kind of the way that we worked that in early on. And it's kind of done well since then. Um, and they run, that's their only running penalty usually of the day is if they don't hold up to their accountability controllable things and um, that's helped being cohesive because it's built trust. Like, oh, I'm not holding up my end. You know, I, they just called accountability. Um, they didn't come at me. So it was it's kind of that way of balance of like, oh, I'm not a total complete B word, like I said, but also I'm not just fluffy. Oh, this is great, even though things aren't going well. Uh, kind of that happy medium. 
So you said those are player-based rules. What, for example, what were your rules last year? Um, the funny thing is, is they actually started four years ago, three years ago with Megan Wallstead and mostly every year they kind of, they're like, nope, we like that. We like that. We like that. Um, one's being on time, super simple, black and white, right? Black and white. Um, the other one is having your cape on, which is my main word for controllables, um, being coachable, having a good attitude. You can control your preparation. You can control your effort. So if people don't have their cape on, um, so I make a call or, you know, because we purposely in practice will make bad calls. Um, you know, it was out on this person. It was out on that person. Um, don't foul, no foul. Um, just to try to see how they emotionally can handle um, something that they can't control because if they can't control it in practice, they're not going to be able to control that in the game um, when a ref makes a bad call. So that is one. So if people aren't, you know, having good attitudes, which is pretty black and white, um, it's easy. They come up to me and they say, hey, we don't all have our cape on right now. And that's, that's one of them. So Kate being on time, um, uh, communication. And then I believe the last one was, I think it was hustle. So 50, 50 balls getting on the ground, running to the end of lines and so on. So those four things, if, you know, they usually warn each other, they'll say, Hey, you guys, let's go. Like you need to pick this up. And if after one warning, they're like, they'll come over and they'll be like, I'm frustrated. Like I'm counting a count like this doesn't this isn't up to our standard this isn't and no and no names are they just say as a group we aren't doing it so everyone kind of you're not calling out so and so for not hustling or not having their cape on yep no and eventually like i'll say like hey if you know depending on the relationship like who was it and they'll just tell me but i don't i don't announce that to the group like it's just like hey one of your teammates was strong enough to call an accountability on you guys for um not communicating or yesterday someone was late at practice so now we have this and if I, I mean, my first year that we put it in, it was awesome because one of the, the people we put it in for, um, she called accountability on herself and she literally came to me and she goes, I'm calling it on myself. Like I have a terrible attitude. Like I need to change. Like this is not helping the team. And that was probably one of the only times I told the whole team, like, Hey, she called it on herself. And this is awesome. Like mad respect for this person, because that that's kind of hard to do. That's, you know, self-realization, but um, it's really just a quick six and then we move on and don't talk about it and we say hey let's make a change let's have it better but it's not coming from me as a coach where it's like oh coach is making us run sixes like oh coach is making us run killers like I don't really make them run killers just because I'm mad at their attitude um, but they make themselves run so it's kind of a different way to have them look at it that's awesome just like the the student-led nature of your program it's 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 clear obviously like you mentioned you've had some really talented and high level basketball players, but also there's teams who have good basketball players that don't win and don't win state championships and just creating that culture where kids are holding themselves accountable is just, that's awesome. I mean, that's just uh, a really, really cool thing and that they hold themselves accountable like that. That is just really awesome. I think that's amazing that you're doing that and clearly it's paying off on the court. Uh, I want to switch in here uh, for a little bit and talk about numbers. I know I'm in Princeton, uh, you know, 45 minutes outside of Minneapolis uh, and I know across the, you know, in our conference, Mississippi A conference, I know a lot of girls teams are struggling with numbers. And so what are some ways at Eastview that you have you know, raised your numbers up, maintained your numbers, and uh, you know, kept building that youth program? Because I know that's the big, one of the big to hot topics with uh, girls basketball coaches across the state and even probably across the country. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, we've continued to hold our camps and try to get them involved. And, you know, they're in our pregame, like they're, they're right there with me. 
um, and our coaching staff for a while. And um, I think the hard part, especially at Eastview, the challenge that we've had is that we actually, a third of our school overall is open enrollment just because of the way that our lines are. So imagine each class of 600 kids, 200 of them are open enrolled. So they're kids that I don't even know who they are, where they've been. And so we've dealt with the same struggle on top of the fact that not every kid is doing EVAA anything is what it's called. Um, so I think that's been really hard, but I also think it's really important to get um, strong people in as leaders in your, you know, in your youth program. And that's not always easy, but um, you know, people who really just want to get numbers up. And right now, before I got here, you know, we were blessed with Melissa Giebert, uh, Ruth Sin, um, you know, Johnny Giltley. We had like groups of people and coaches who really cared about EVAA basketball. And that just helped the numbers and the popularity and, um, you know, people want to be successful. And, you know, we're luckily getting a really great group kind of going and people leading EVAA right now. Um, with our girls basketball program, which are keeping numbers up, it's the first time ever that we had two fourth grade um, traveling teams. Um, so hopefully those numbers keep going up. And so we were able to have two fourth grade, two fifth grade, two sixth grade, which is the first time, or one fifth grade, but um, the first time that we've had those numbers again. And so um, really trying to communicate with them and they've taken a lot of the lead because they want the numbers to be good for their daughters as well. And if, you know, at a young age, if you get people involved and get parents involved and it's exciting and it's fun and it's, um, they really look up to people. They just, they kind of are able to keep going with it. So um, that's where we've kind of been at right now. They've, you know, we've got a, those parents that have helped and, you know, I've got a four-year-old. So hopefully my husband in a couple of years will be willing to take on that role of trying to get people involved and excited about it. And um, that's really what we're trying to do. And it's easy, hard. It's, I mean, I think it's something we're all kind of dealing and working through right now. You find that, and I, uh, on my notes, I have it in air quotes, but that you're maybe battling with, you know, J.O. and dance for, for players. Do you, see, do you see that same um, struggle at Eastview as maybe some of the rural communities are seeing, or is it pretty much your basketball kids are your basketball kids, or is there that point where girls are like, oh, I need to go focus on volleyball, or I need to just do dance, or what are some ways that, if you're seeing that, that you've combated that? Well, I think being in a bigger school, we've probably already transitioned from that. Um, we've, you know, on Unfortunately or fortunately, we don't have a lot of dual sport athletes. Uh, Lauren Glass was probably our last. We've got a couple right now, but Lauren Glass went D1 soccer and then played basketball and stayed through. And that came with sacrifices. Um, you know, during season, she missed some games and, you know, had to leave early from practice to go to soccer. And, you know, the way I've combated is just I, I was a multi-sport athlete. Like I, you know, my purpose is really and purpose based of what is best for a kid and how can I help them with also maintaining a high standard? And so, I mean, me and her had to have difficult conversations of, hey, you're missing things. That means just so you know, your playing time is going to be different, but like, I, we still love to have you here and we want you here. So what's, what's most important for you at this time? Um, you know, I've had other athletes that are main basketball and then secondary other sports. And, you know, I want to support them and help them um, with that. But again, it's as much as I want to win, it's still about the kid and what's their experience and what are they going to remember and so I think I think that's the way that I've combated it of hey I want to help you and I want you to help our program so what's what's the happy middle or medium of you know and it's an honest conversation of it's hard not easy like it's not going to be easy right now and Lauren Glass is the example of she played at a high level like right a top soccer team she's at UND right now and she was playing on a high level high school basketball program you know I mean at a 4A school and so 
um, that really the communication piece again is combative of what's best for this kid right now in this moment. It, you know, I, I went to her multiple times and I was like, you look tired, like you look overworked. Like, what do we need to do to make sure that you're healthy and you're mentally healthy, you're physically healthy. And, um, but that's how we've combated it. Um, you know, at the younger level, youth level, it's, you know, they're always hearing from different people and parents and parents are talking to college coaches and, you know, and it's just like, ah, oh, it's like, yeah, yeah, this kind of stinks. So that's the way that I've gone about it. I'm like, hey, I want you to be a multi-sport athlete as long as you know you can commit to things. And it's not easy. And but it can be done. I've seen yeah. people do it. Um, but I've been open to it. But then again, it's really hard because a lot of other teams or coaches might not be. And that's yeah. when I think we run into more of like a, a head-on collision. I think being open to understanding that this kid might miss two games this year. They might have a tournament in Chicago that they're going to miss our, you know, our Tuesday, Friday game this week or whatever the case may be. So I think being open to that is great. And that, you know, understanding that if a kid can help your team, they need to know that there's going to be some consequences. They're not going to just jump right back into their normal playing time, but also if they can help, you want to help them. You want to give them that opportunity. Uh, I'm going to go back into practices a little bit. You talked about, your situations, which is great, um, putting those constraints on and giving the kids ownership of that. Talk more about what your practices look like. Is there a lot of competitive stuff? Is a lot of drill-based? Uh, if we walked into just a typical practice of yours, what would we see? Um, yeah, well, I'd hope you'd be seeing a lot of communication and interaction, communication, contact. Um, I've taken a lot of stuff from random, I guess not, you know, one of the guys that runs on Common Competitor, um, you know, we warm up interacting, not on the baseline. We are across from each other on sidelines and they need to contact and connect with three to four people every time they go down and warm up. Um, from there, we're going into just kind of our warm up basic drills that they feel really comfortable with. Because um, I think it's important to start practice with good drills. Um, just in regards to you always have that energy up, you know they're the energy givers right from the beginning. Um, depending on when it's the beginning of the practice or beginning of the year, end of the year practice might look a little bit different where at the beginning, we're really trying to run drills that get our, um, baseline in order. So we've, you know, we do a drill, uh, where they actually don't get the pass if they're not loud enough. So coaches stand on the you know three point line and they're cutting to the wing. And if I don't think that they're um, calling for the ball is loud enough. Um, they don't get the pass and it's called voice activation and we do different drills. So they learn from the first week on that, Hey, you need to be louder. That's not going to cut it. And you're not going to get the ball and you're not going to get the shot and you're not going to get the rep. So, I mean, we, we technically sacrifice things early on um, in regards to, you know, I think some people will be like, well, no, they got to get their shots up. And we kind of go, well, no, they're not going to get their shot up if they don't, if they don't hold our baseline standard of whether it's communication, whether it's passing, whether, you know, we change it up or try to be, um, but that early on hopefully gets our interaction and our communication from there. It's going to be very much, um, it's going to be fast paced. We pretty much do almost no conditioning except what our practice is in conditioning. And, um, and then it's going to be a lot of we're going, going, going. There's communication from coaches on the side and there's just rotating teams in. So that's obviously the goal for us of just communicating, communicating early on. And then, um, yeah, and then from there, we like to compete a lot. Um, and then we like to try to change up, you know, if we do simple ways of competing, then it's um, we end with, um, you know, a free throw to win it. So those are our pressure free throws. So we don't shoot free throws at all during practice. We don't run for missing free throws. Um, 
I believe in taking pressure off of kids. I remember running as a kid when I missed a free throw and the whole team had to run. And I remember like hating that and people are like, oh, that was good pressure. And I was like, now looking, I'm like, but that wasn't realistic pressure. You know, in a game, if I miss a game, my team isn't running a six. My team isn't running a killer. I just let my team down because we lost. Um, so, you know, we, we compete and we like to keep track of score, but um, we like to try to add competition in totally different ways where it's not based on points. Um, and, you know, that's one way we end drills. We call it pressure free throws. But again, that's, it's your one. And if you miss it, you don't win the game and you go back to your score and you're going again. And so I think letting your teammates down is probably more realistic pressure of, you know, and people will be like, really? And, you know, I look back and, and I didn't know it at the time, but like I look at our state championship game and that game, I think we were like 22 for 26 from the free throw line. And we never shot free throws in practice. And that's just kind of the way they handled the pressure. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. I kind of went all over with what practice looks like, but that's, that's kind of what it looks like. A lot of player led, um, basic skill stuff, but then it's really just kind of working on, you know, them learning the game the whole time. It's okay. We're running this set. What do we want from this set? If that set doesn't work, what does it look like? Cause I don't want them ever bringing the ball back up and calling a new set. Like I'm not like, I love sets, but it's never going to look like that hopefully for us. So um, a lot of hopefully just individual one-on-one, -on -one, two on two meetings of like, Hey, look at this, look at this. What does that look like? So um, if that kind of, Makes sense. Yeah, I like the free throw thing. We switched to that this past year. Uh, that, you know, I've, I've heard that's kind of like the, the new thing and that you've been doing that for a few years shows that you're ahead of the game. But, you know, so many times I think coaches go, all right, shoot 20 free throws. So like you don't shoot 20 straight free throws in a game, right? The most you're ever going to shoot in a game in a row is three. And so, I mean, we'll do that too. End of a drill. We'll just have everyone go shoot two free throws quickly while they're tired um, or end a drill, like you said. But uh, yeah, that's great. I mean, the fact that you've been doing that um, and all for a couple of years and you saw success with your state championship going 22 for 26 or whatever it was shows that uh, there's evidence that that supports that that's working. Uh, do you find that your free throw numbers are a little down earlier in the year than they kind of pick back up as they've gotten more game reps or is your team pretty solid all the way through the season? Um, I think they're maybe a little bit down. We, in the first two weeks, we don't, like I said, I mean, we talk about it, but we don't shoot any in practice. And then um, after that, we actually, they have to get 60 free throws in on their own. Um, and they have to make at least 50 and it's outside of practice. So when they get in the gym, you can get your free throws in afterwards, shoot around, whenever you have to do, you get your 60 in and then you actually just report back. Um, we've got a little sign up sheet and they have to make at least 50. So they don't have a running consequence. It's just, if they go 40 for 60, they have to shoot until they get 50 makes. So they're, if they don't make enough, they're essentially just being forced to shoot more to get more reps in to be better. There's no consequence. It's just, you have to stay and find more time to shoot more. Um, so that always helps uh, just because then they're actually getting the reps in and it's not during practice time and it's on their own time. And then in practice is when we do um, kind of those pressure situations that are more real life and, um, we do conditioning free throws, which is more realistic. Uh, that's the only time we really do like conditioning, but it's not punishment. It's you run, you run before you shoot. So they run, you know, three lines or three baselines, then they come shoot their two free throws, then they rebound for their partner. So then they come back and they report their thing, but there's no, there's no pressure. It's, oh, this is realistic. And so, but I've explained that all to them. So now they're like, oh, that makes sense. Like, we'll buy into that. We'll try. We'll make this pressure because there's no consequence, but so yeah, that's, I've seen it, it progress as that's happened just because then we get into probably about week three, week four. I'm like, all right, 
sheets up, you've got 60 free throws. You know, this is now you're in your routine and then weekly yeah. it changes and they update it. So that helps okay. as well. Awesome. That's cool that they have this, have that number they got to get every day. That's great. Uh, so you talked a little bit about sets. Let's get into your offense. Uh, you mentioned, you know, kind of as we exchange emails, you run some dribble drive, five out swing. So do you have a base offense going into each season? Do you have uh, all of your offenses in at any time that you can go to? And then how do you decide, especially with player led and play, player driven calls on the court, how do you decide which offense is most effective for the team that you have? Yeah. Um, I, when I looked, sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, we have four different motions and like way too many sets. But when we've worked on it for a lot of time, they, they're great because they really own it. But, um, you know, we were in, we had the swing offense during the, my state championship year, um, or our state. And then we moved on because we didn't have our two posts that were more outside threats. So then we actually slowly went away from the swing. Um, and then focused on the five out um, cutting and um, kind of, you know, the pass pin down screen to the second person. And then you buck cut. Oh, some people call it the circle five out. Um, and we've always kept a dribble drive and we've always um, kept a five out just screen away, you know, screen, you can curl or you back door, you know, with different rules. Um, those are two have just always stayed. And then we've kind of rotated through some of the other ones of, you know, what does this look like? Um, I loved the swing. It was great, but I definitely think that it's great to have a, um, a bigger person that can be um, more successful from the outside, you know, can shoot a three, can pop and hit it just because otherwise we ran into defenses that wanted to sag off and not, not do as much. So um, from there with all those different offenses, we usually, um, communicate and talk about when with the coaches uh the players of like hey when would you run this when would you not run this when you know and so they, they, they're they running down and they're you know called, giving our sign for our, our dribble drive and then you know at a free throw I'm like hey you've you've kind of ran that six times in a row like what do you what do you think is going to be best to maybe do next because they're they're expecting it and they're doing this and they're cheating then they're coming down and they're like okay let's you know look at this um so really that's that's kind of how we've worked through it. There's kind of the two that we stay with forever. And then usually we add third or fourth um, with the anticipation of where it's going to take a year or two to get good at it. Um, I know during our, when we won state that year, we didn't even have one of the offenses in and we never used it until um, February and March because the whole idea was it was going to run off of something else. You know, our long-term goal was the state championship. Um, we knew we'd most likely have to play Hopkins. What is their defense? They're going to be great. You know, they they, they won't say they struggle, but uh, guarding um, a continuous offense where they don't know the exact play is more difficult for anyone to play because you're just playing basketball. So um, it's been different every year. We've really changed offenses into, hey, what's best for this group or this personnel or who do we have and what does that look like? Um, that's really how we work through that. Um, and then all of our sets kind of run into offense is the idea. So again, we're not going back out and then setting up. It's these six sets go right into our dribble drive and so on. So your sets too, you mentioned you like to have sets. What are some of your, you know, again, you don't need to share all of your secrets, what's been successful, but what are some of your actions or your sets that have uh, maybe the highest efficiency or that you've had the most success with? Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, we have a lot, probably too many sets, but again, they, they like them and they learn them. We don't run them all at the same time. Um, we run a four high set, uh, that 
we've been really successful with. We've added a bunch of stuff off of that. And then everything is just kind of geared towards the same actions or motions, whether it's a back screen, down screen, um, how does that look different, um, you know, with slips involved. And, you know, the whole idea is that they can learn and read that, oh, they're going under it. So that means I pop, um, you know, they're on me too high. So I'm slipping the flare screen. And so, um, but a lot of four sets, four high sets again, which then always ends with a ball screen into our dribble drive action is typical or hopeful. Um, We've also had, yeah, because we actually do um, a zipper cut off of a four high set too. So we've got ones where it's a four high set and then otherwise we run in and we use some zipper actions, which uh, you can do a lot with because you can, you know, zipper action curl it, which last year we ran the same play for three game winners and we didn't have to call a timeout. We didn't do anything. We just, I called out the play and they came down, execute it. We got two, three different shots and every time we ran it and um so yeah, that's probably the most um, success. But again, within those, hopefully giving them, it's not like I'm trying to control. They're doing this and only this and this is only your spot to go. It's okay, girls, if they're going under, what do you do? If they're going over, what do you do? What's the different look you get if that happens then? And so it's being that, well, this is option A, but you need option B. And if you read it and maybe read it wrong, that's okay. I'm not mad at you. I'm not screaming at you that you went to the wrong spot. It's okay. That didn't work. So now you have to, we have to adjust. What is that? How is that going to be different? So how about transition? Do you have, is it pretty positionless or do you have set lanes, set responsibilities, set roles that your girls have in transition offense? Um, pretty positionless. Um, try to have four, you know, four out, uh, one in this year, we tried to transition into something different, which um, was a little bit more difficult just because of our youth. So we're hopefully going to be putting that in more to become more transition. Uh, but so much of uh, our transition, I think, was based off of our point guard and making a read and going and then filling spots and lanes. Um, and it, when run at our peak with, um, you know, people who um, with a little bit more experience, it was, hey, we're running and we're, we're used to each other and we're filling this spot and this is that rule. And if I ran through and came this way, like, you know, if I'm being denied, then there's my back door, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's really, I want them to create. I think that's their freelance time of, okay, we're wide, we're spaced. This is what we know. We just know basketball um, and through film and through other things that they can learn, learn from. That's awesome. Now let's go to defense. You like, like offense. Um, I'm, a, I'm laughing and I'm, I'm smiling is we're very, we don't run a lot of stuff where our boys team is just pretty much straight high ball screen. We scored 85 points a game. We led class three in points last year. Um, we just play fast and get up and down the court. So um, I think it's good for me to hear what other coaches are doing that maybe don't have that same style of play. And I think it's, you know, it's good. It's, you know, we all can learn from each other. And I think that's, that's awesome that you, you know, your girls are able to do that. I don't know if my guys would be able to run all that stuff. Um, but you know, that's clearly a testament to your coaching ability and how you've been able to install that in pieces. Like, you know, something that stuck out that you mentioned is that you don't like put an offense in and like next week we're running this, you say it's a, a one or two year process before you expect them to be fluent in it in a game situation. But what about defense? Uh, you said you mix in some man and zone. So talk about, just give a little overview of your defense and then how you decide, um, are you going man this game zone this game and then how do you switch like do you switch on live ball are you switching on dead balls are you switching out of timeouts um, switching defenses uh, so what goes into that decision process um you know we we always in the last couple of years um, always we don't work on defense actually until season um, 
and it's very much if we can't score, if someone can't shoot, we're in trouble. Even though I believe that defense is everything you control, you need to be best prepared offensively. I, I switched my learning tactics in that when I listened to Dino actually talk about that. Um, and so defense, we come in, and the first day I say, hey, do you guys want to be the best defensive team in the state again? And, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, we do, but we don't want to do the drills that are coming next. Um, and so um, with our more experienced teams, it was very much we, you know, did some just hard-nosed man in the middle, just need to get them to buy into the fact that we love defense, and it's going to be the most important. Um, and that was, that, that's been really good for us because we're always going to play man-to-man. I think when it comes down to it, without a shot clock, um, I don't love playing zones for entire games. Um, until this year, we never did that. It was more so change of pace. Um, teams are getting comfortable. Teams are used to this. Well, what can we throw at them that makes it um, more difficult for them? Or, you know, we need a trap or something like that. So um, man's always kind of our our you know baseline of what we want to do we want to be a really good man-to-man team you know this last year we were trying to put in a new offense and we went offense first and did not talk defense for the first week and I regret it um, we'll never do that again and you know it's a learning experience especially with a youthful team like we had this last year um had to have been we should have been defense, defense, defense. um but so from there yeah uh, defensively we're kind of in the middle of you know we haven't always had teams that you know like Hopkins where we can run and press the entire time and you know, can go, you know, 10 deep with these athleticism. Um, so it's been very much fundamental and team mentality, just like everything else we do. You know, I always say if, if, if the person on the wing gets beat and they get a layup, it's actually not that person's fault. And I'm going to be looking for the help defenders and it's going to be your fault. And you just let your teammate down and now that trust is broken. Um, so we, we talk all defensively about trust, um, at least as our baseline. We I I scout and we give scouting reports, but like we don't change most of our defensive things until the second time around because I think that we need to be good at our defensive fundamentals before we ever even talk about another team. You know, I write write that John Wooden old school way of thinking of we're not going to talk about them. I just need you to do what you're supposed to do on our defensive concept. So, um, and that's, that's, we're kind of, you know, we're learning this year, but that's what it's been in the past. Um, we've ran one three one. We've ran a one two two. We've run a two three. You know, in the lanes, you know, lines, and so we change up usually based on um, dead ball situations. We've done some, you know, oh miss makes and so on. But otherwise, we're going to go in a timeout, and I'm going to look at the girls, and I'm going to say, on the second possession, you are going one three one, and you're staying in it until they score. Once they score, you are back to man to man. And so, again, that comes in practice of, like, that's hard to remember. If you try to focus on, like, oh, I'm playing a game and I have to run this, this, and this, and now I have to remember that on the second possession of this timeout, we're in a 1-3-1. So, um, but that's what we've tried to do um, in the past of just, like, it's kind of random. It's not random, but, you know, out of a timeout, out of a dead ball, um, what are they going to call as a subs coming in, you know, subbing in and that sub is the one actually communicating. So I'm not even communicating it. Um, they're communicating after that. Once I told that sub, you know, Hey, you need to go let everyone know we're actually going into this for the next, you know, from here on out until we say stop, or you're in it until they score or you're in it until X, Y, and Z. So what's, I mean, you're obviously drilling that in practice. And I think that's the big thing that, you know, we talked about the situations earlier is that you, you put that situation in the, in the practices and then your girls can execute it. You don't just say on Friday uh, and you're playing Apple Valley, 
hey, all right, in two possessions, we're going to one through one. You've actually, you've worked on that in games in your situation or in practices with your situations. And then the big thing you talked about with communication, obviously, if your, your team's communicating and they know what, they know what, what's on, what's going on defensively, they can communicate that with their teammates to make sure all five girls are on the same page. And I think obviously the work that you're doing in practice is paying off as they're able to make those adjustments during the games. Yeah, we hope so. It's, it's not easy. I mean, that does take practice. I know this year with how youthful we were, um, we only had one returning varsity player. I know that this was like a two-year process of being able to do that. It's not like this year as freshmen, they were like, oh yeah, this makes sense. We were doing this all the time, you know, and traveling yeah. ball. It's, it takes time and it's, it's, it's worked for us. Been, it makes it more fun than just like, okay, it's some old. Um, you know, we come in and we'll say, all right, now we're doing this with a ball screen. And the person subbing in has to tell them that. Um, yeah. You know, and the, the higher up that we get and the more competitive and then later in the season, that's even changing even more of we're T-boning this person, we're switching this one, and we're trapping this one. You know, in our state championship, we had four different ways that we were going to defend a ball screen. Um, and they had to be ready for that, and that was a very detailed scouting report, but they had done it all previously with no scouting report, and now it mm -hmm. was um, – so then once we get later into it, then the scouting report becomes essential, but they already know the game hopefully by then, and they've, you know – gained the IQ that those adjustments are really easy. Um, hopefully. So last question here. Uh, what's advice for a first year head coach? Um, no, the first year and probably the second are probably going to be your hardest. Not that it gets easier. It just, um, you'll not question yourself as much and to kind of just keep pushing forward and know what your real purpose is. Um, once I got hooked on my purpose and you're not surrounding it by wins or losses, um, it's, it's a lot easier because you're, you're doing what hopefully is best for 45 kids, right? You're zoomed out to see a big picture, which, you know, most parents aren't, most students aren't, that's a hard thing. So, um, you just got to find that purpose of you want to, you want to make, make something great for kids and their experience and their life. And, you know, and that's not always, you gotta, you just talk about it, but you gotta live up to it. You know, I look back in our state championship, I went into the game and I said, girls, we could lose this game and that would be okay. Like, I would still love you guys. I would still love our team. Like, it would be okay if we lost. And you know, that kills me cause I'm like, oh, I wanna win. Like, you know, who doesn't? But um, at the end of the day, that's not what really mattered. It, you know, all those experiences every day and hardships are what really got you there. So it kind of sounds cliche, but it's, you know, it's so real. Well, Coach, I appreciate it. Best of luck to your teams moving forward. I know I wrote down a lot of notes, and I'm sure people are going to take a lot of stuff and hopefully install them with their teams this coming winter. Uh, thanks again. I really appreciate it, and uh, best of luck uh, down the road with uh, with your team. Yeah, thank you.